Hello and welcome back to a new episode on economics design. Today we're going to do something a bit different. Today we're going to talk about one of these products called RunBridge. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper or more specific into the token design and some aspects of design for RunBridge. I realize I need to start making more specific disclaimers. So a full disclaimer, I do not own any barn tokens. I did not put any money into the Bridge protocol. This is not investment advice and this is purely educational. If you want investment advice, you can look up at other different channels, but here is purely educational. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about Bridge. So we're gonna cover five things. One is the tokens in Bridge. Two, the governance in Bridge. Three, Bridge versus existing protocols, so you understand the difference. Four, understanding financial product in Bunbridge, and five suggestions for the future. The biggest difference between Bunbridge and the other episodes that we've been covering is that this is absolutely less about economics design and more about financial product design. We're going to talk about why in a bit as we understand what Bunbridge does, but bear in mind that this is more about financial product design and engineering than economics design. Sure, there are economics being involved in the design of these financial products, but it's a different kind of economics. It's more financial economics in the design of the product. So we get started with tokens. What are the tokens in Bunbridge? How are they used and why do they exist? The four main tokens in Bunbridge, the bond token, which is an ERC20 token, the BB vote token, which is not tradable, three, the bond, which is an NFT, is an NFT, so it's a 721 token. And lastly, it's something in the future that they're going to create and they have not created it yet. It's a tokenized version of the bond products that they're creating. What I want to do is to give you an understanding, a very general understanding of what are the tokens, how does token design and governance come in before we figure out what is this product even about. So what are the differences between the tokens? Are they tradable? Who use it? What are the different functions? For the bond token, which is an ERC20 token, it is tradable and you can get it on stuff like Uniswap and all these other decentralized exchanges. And it's given to the community members. The function is that it exists to function as a DAO. So it's for future governance with the bond tokens. You can be voting on a DAO, so a decentralized autonomous organization. And you can vote, you can be voting about on how this entire ecosystem will be running. The other token is the BB vote token. As imagine, as you can imagine, it's called no, it's a, there's a vote in the word, so it's going to be used for voting. The difference between BB vote token and the bond token is that the BB vote token is not tradable and it's only given to the early team. This is for the initial governance and voting. So you can think of BB vote as in the token for right now and how the ecosystem will continue to grow for the next couple of months. And then the bond tokens will be distributed to the community and the community gets to govern the system in the future. It was quite confusing to me initially, but I hope this makes some sense. There are two types of bond tokens. One is an ERC20 token and one is an ERC721 token. So the ERC20 token is like, think of it as your, your dollar bill. So every dollar bill is pretty much the same. You can just trade it often. So that's the bond token. Every bond token that you hold is pretty much the same. The bond ERC721, it's instead of, it's like an art piece. So each art piece is individual and unique on its own. So that's the, the concept. It is not tradable and they kind of just use it for fun. They created it for fun to understand how the NFT system works and to just trial and test it. It's given to the initial team members and the community. It's not tradable. It's 
just given for fun to try things out. I don't think anyone can get it right now, but if you want, I'm pretty sure you can ask them and they can create some form of uh, NFT token for you. It's not going to be tradable anyway, and you get to keep it because it's nice and pretty to keep. Lastly, there's something that will exist that is not, exist not in existence right now, is the tokenized bond product. So this will be tradable, and the entire purpose or the entire idea of BondBridge is to create financial products, tokenize it, and then you can sell these products available online or on different exchanges. So people who want to buy this will be the bond buyers. So if you want to buy tokenized version of these financial products, you can buy them in token forms. And these tokens will represent the bond product, the financial product instead. So this is a very general overview of the tokens available. How are they used and the functions of it? In that sense, every token exists for a specific reason. The first token is for the general governance of the entire system. The second token is the initial governance and it will, it will be gone after a while. The third one is you know, for fun just to try because this 721 token might be very important in the future when we're talking about the fourth product, which is a tokenized bond product. Now let's move on to governance because governance is something that the project talks a lot about. There's one main governance DAO, it's called the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. If you don't know about it, I'll link it above and you can go check it out. There are a lot of different kind of DAO style governance. It's decentralized governance and how do you decentralize that? How does it work? How does voting work? How does governance work? A lot of these conversations are being, are being spoken about and are being researched upon. And the whole point of governance for Barnbridge is that they want to decentralize it from the beginning. So there are two types of DAOs available. One is the launch DAO and one is the Barnbridge DAO. The launch DAO will exist for about you know, six months and then it will be transitioned to the Barnbridge DAO. Remember just now we talked about two different tokens. We have the, the BB vote token. So it's the voting token for the initial stage of the project. Then you have the Bunbridge token, which is for the long-term long -term voting and long-term governance of the project. So in LaunchDAO, this is where the BB vote token will be used. And then as the company or as the project transitions to the Bunbridge DAO, the bond ERC20 bond tokens will be used to be voting on the LaunchBridge DAO. So in long story short, LaunchDAO only using BB vote token exists for a couple of months. Bunbridge DAO, Future of the governance, entire governance of the system using the bond token, the bond ERC20 token. It will be coming into existence in a couple of months. The Bombridge DAO will replace the launch DAO. Simple. Okay, and now I think this is where the crux of the conversations and the crux of the entire podcast or this episode is going to talk about. One, we want to understand what Bombridge does. And in my experience, a lot of people find that finance is a bit difficult. So I'm going to start with comparing Bunbridge with three different products in the DeFi space. They're not, they're not the same, but I want to give you an understanding of what Bunbridge does by comparing the existing DeFi products in the place, in the space. Then you can understand Bunbridge and what it does as we move on. So we're going to get started with something that everybody loves, which is the Yearn, the Yearn Finance product. What Bunbridge does is called what I would call risk optimization, and what Yearn Finance does is what I call ROI optimization. So what do you do with Yearn? If let's say I've got 100 US dollars, and I can do two things with it. No, I can do three things with it. One, I can put it in my wallet, and I can just keep it there until if I need to use it, then I'll use it. Two, I can liquidate it immediately because I don't want to have the 100 die. 
I want to have 100 USD in my bank instead, so I can liquidate it. And three, I can invest it. So I can use this 100 DAI that I have in whatever protocols there are, there are in the DeFi space. So one way to do it is to invest individually. So if I have 100 DAI and I think I want to put it in Aave or I want to put it in the Curve protocol or I want to be trading it in Bancor or I want to be doing derivatives with it, I can do it. So I go to these different protocols and use it. Now, the problem is, and I can understand, is that the market is a bit volatile. So if I have 100 DAI in different protocols, I have to constantly manage it, constantly understand what's the risk involved and you know, do a bit more active trading. That's good. Some people are specialized in that and that's good. I am not specialized in that and I, it's going to take up a lot of my time to, to be actively trading while doing other things at the same time. So I, do want, I want to put 100 USD, 100 DAI into one of these systems, one of these protocols. But I don't have time to manage them individually. So what can I do? That's where Yearn Finance comes in. I put my money in one of the products they have. So it could be a vault. It could be one of their different pools. I put it there and it uses, it optimizes the ROI for me. So if I have 100 DAI and I put it in one of their products, then it, and let's say I want to look at some form of lending. So they will look at all the different protocols available. So it could be the Maker's Protocol, it could be DYDX, it could be Compound, it could be Aave. They find what's the best interest rates that you could get for this 100 DAI. They allocate it right. And then they optimize my returns. They optimize my ROI. They optimize my interest rates. Because when I put money in these protocols, they will earn different kind of interest returns. So that's what Yearn does. It helps me to find out what is the best interest rates, what's my best returns on investment. Then it puts my money there. And that's good. That's what I call ROI optimization. So you optimize for how can I get the best returns. In finance, other than returns, there's this thing called risk. So in finance, you, you wanna, you're always trying to balance both of them. How do I maximize my returns but also minimize my risk? But that goes against the conventional idea. The idea is that high risk, high returns, right? How can you get high risk? No, how can you get high returns with low risk? That's, that's quite difficult to find and people usually want to, want to look for this kind, of, this kind of trade or these kind of opportunities. But we don't always find them. So what we could do is to look at ways to minimize risk instead. There will be ROI and ROI could, could vary, but I, ROI is still a bit uncertain. But risk is a little bit more certain because risk is something that I can lose and I, I don't want to lose a lot of different, I don't want to lose all my money. So how can I, what can I do to reduce the risk? Or what can I do to find the product that, is, that I'm comfortable with when I'm talking about risk? So this is where Bumbridge comes in. Bumbridge looks at risk optimization. If let's say I'm a very risk-loving person, I really like risk, I'm all about the returns, and this money, I can lose it anyway, I don't care, I just want to make as much returns as possible. So I'm looking at, let's say, a very high-risk product. Something like 90% of it will fail, but I also get 90% upside. So if the market does very well, then I get 90% upside. If the market does badly, I will lose 90% of it. So I'm really risk-loving. So Bumbridge has such kind of products where if I have 100 die and I really love risk, then I can put my 100 die into this, this product that has very, very high risk, but also very, very high returns. So that's one type of product. The other type of product is I have 100, I have 100 die. I'm just, in the, I'm just in the DeFi space. I want to experience. I want to understand how DeFi works. And, but I'm, I'm quite afraid of risk. 
I don't really like risk so much and I just want to have 10% risk because yeah, sure, it's 10% upside, but I'm still unsure. I just want to test it out, and but I want to contribute to the DeFi system. So I look at a product that's a low-risk product, so maybe just 10%. Then I put my money in there, and if the market goes up, I get 10% of whatever the market does. But if the market goes down, I only lose 10%. So then I can find out the pro- I can find a product that is comfortable that I'm comfortable with when it comes to the risk. So these are the two differences. Year in finance is where you're optimizing returns and barn bridge is where you optimize risk. And me as an individual, I have the capital, I can choose what I want. I can choose at optimizing returns or I can choose at I can choose what kind of risk profiles that I'm interested in. So that's the difference. Now, what about barn bridge versus Aave? As you know, Aave is a lending protocol. So Aave is more like a one product yield versus Barnbridge, which is many product yields. What do I mean? So with Aave, if I have 100 DAI, I can put my 100 DAI into the Aave protocol, I will be getting a DAI, and I will be earning interest rates via this via the system, right? So I have one DAI, I have 100 DAI, and I will get returns in DAI, and I'll get returns in that area. Barnbridge does a bit different. So one of their products, one of their bond products, is that they will look for yield in many, many many, many protocols. So it could be many, if I have 100 DAI, they can put the 100 DAI in Compound, DYDX, Arving, Maker, or all these other lending protocols to be getting your returns. And they also they do that because of the risk, you want to reduce the risk, and they want to look at yields from many places. So that's one of the, that's how it's different because they have, they can aggregate more products, more protocols, and because of that, they can reduce risk. The, because the, the risk changes, the returns also changes. So that's the difference between Barnbridge and Aave. And Aave, is, Aave specializes in lending. Barnbridge can do a lot of other stuff because it's just a product at the end of the day. They're just taking every whatever that's in the space, package them together into a new product. So they can do lending protocols as a form of yield or risk, or they can do other kind of products available. So that's, uh, that's the differences. And lastly, Barnbridge versus Synthetics. This is a very interesting comparison because I think it's a little bit more applicable and a little bit more, a, a little bit closer where you can compare them. So what I would say is that Synthetics is, is to create synthetic assets and protocols, right? What I mean, instead of having USD, you have synthetic USD. So, and instead of having Tesla shares, you have synthetic Tesla shares. So it follows the market of how Tesla, Tesla market works. And instead of trading the actual Tesla, you're trading the synthetic version of Tesla. And then you have different counterparties who are matching your, your orders. It means instead of working, instead of buying and selling the actual Tesla's share in the Tesla market, you're creating a synthetic version. So uh, almost like a fake version or a, a yeah, synthetic version of it where you're trading with another counterparty and you're trading based on the market movement of Tesla but not directly impacting the markets of Tesla. So that's the idea of synthetic. No, you're creating synthetic assets. And because of that, you can do a lot of different kind of derivatives trade or a lot of different kind of financial products and trading with these synthetic assets. Very cool. Now what Bumbridge does is that it instead of synthetic assets, they're investing the actual money and capital into these real assets and protocols. So for example, with 
synthetics, you can be creating, you can be having this, um, let's say, synthetic, synthetic DeFi product. And for example, you can, you're creating a product with synthetic DeFi assets. And you can find that on synthetics, and you can be structuring your different products if, if you want to structure them, or you can just trade on specific kind of individual products. With Barnbridge, when the money or the capital is in the bond, then the, the money in the bond will actually be allocated to these actual assets and protocols. So that's a slight difference. I think Synthetic is also going to be creating these kind of structured products or bonds or financial products available. And Barnbridge is doing that with a bit more of the real assets, real DeFi assets. Right now, we are not combining the real world with the DeFi world yet. And once that bridge is done, then Barnbridge could be could also be used in that aspect. So that is the comparison between Barnbridge versus other products and protocols available in the DeFi space. Now, let's look deeper into what is Barnbridge? What are bonds? What do you mean by getting different protocols out there and package them into a new product that people can buy and sell? That sounds confusing. If you're in finance, you probably are comfortable with that. If you're not in finance, it's a bit strange. So let me explain to you. I'll explain that to you. I'll explain it in the way where we're going to start first with what Barnbridge does. And I'm going to explain them in cookies. So we have cookies, we have a cookie jar, and we're going to use cookies to understand what is Barnbridge and what other products are available in Barnbridge. So in general, we have two kinds of products. Or in general, it's a category of product called bond products, so tokenized bonds. And then there are two types of bonds, so two types of bond products available in Barnbridge. The first one is called Smart Yield Bond. As you can imagine, it's yield, right? So yield is the increase in revenues generated by these assets. So we talk about decreasing risk. The whole idea of Barnbridge versus Yearn is that Barnbridge is not optimizing risk. Uh, it's not optimizing yield, it's optimizing risk. So this Smart Yield Bond is finding ways to reduce the interest rate risk or to optimize risk, either in re reduce the volatility risk or if you really love risk, you can find ways to increase the risk. So this is the smart yield bond. It's interest rate focus or yield focus. The other one is called smart alpha bond. Alpha is the price appreciation and yeah, the increase in price. So what it does is to, again, it's a, it's a risk. So what they want to do is to mitigate price exposure risk. So your asset could be, four, ETH could be $400 today, and in six months down the line, it could be worth $1,000. So that, that $600 difference is the alpha, the change in price. And this price exposure becomes a risk. It could be a risk because if I'm trading everything in ETH, and I'm, I'm paying people in ETH, and suddenly the price of ETH goes up so much, then it's going to be very expensive because everything is denominated in ETH. So this is where one of, the, one of these reasons why these products exist, you want to mitigate the price exposure risk. So these are the two products that we're going to talk about, and we're going to explain them in terms of cookie jars. But for people who are in the space, who understand finance, who speak a bit of the finance language, what Bumbridge does essentially is like a spec. So a spec is, you know what a spec is, right? Like special, special acquisition companies, something. And what they do is they raise funds from the public, then they allocate funds into these different, different startups or ventures, and they will be collecting returns from them. So it's kind of like a spec, or Bumbridge kind of works like a spec because they're raising capital from the public, and then they're allocating into these different 
bonds or assets that they're structuring. And I would say with no resume, because right now it's still an idea, the product is not out yet, they have not tested, they have not tried, trialed it. So it's kind of like a spec with no resume right now. That's what Brunbridge is in the traditional financial world. For those who don't speak finance, let's move on. So what is the smart yield bond? So the first one is smart yield bond. It is an interest rate volatility risk. They want to optimize that. So in general, they want to reduce the risk. People don't really like risk so much. So they want to reduce the interest rate volatility risk. So how does it work? It's kind of like a fixed income, a fixed income bond. So you have, you have a fixed, fixed coupon for this bond. What does it mean? It means that if you, have, if you have this product, if you have this, let's say you have this mask as a product, as a bond, and when I buy this, it means that every month I will get, I will get a, a small portion of it into my bank account. And every month that's fixed. So it's, a, it's like a fixed coupon or a fixed income because I buy the bond and every month I get a small, a small return and that's fixed. So I don't really have to care about what the risk is outside because that's what the company does. They structure these products to help you reduce your risk. And in return, I will get a fixed amount of money to fix income. So how do we simplify it? Step one, get money from people, raise funds from public. That's exactly what they've done. They've raised a few hundred million dollars. Step two, create a pool of products. So right now, we talked about, we talked about the, the difference between Bumbridge and synthetics is that Bumbridge puts money into these actual assets and protocols, right? So what they do, it could be to take the, the money from people, put them into Aave, to Compound, to Makeup, to DYDX, to InstaDebt, to be investing and getting yields. And there are two pools available. You have high risk and you have low risk. People who want high risk put their money in high risk. People who want low risk put their money in low risk. That's how it works. Then step three, we calculate the, the risk and returns of these assets. So defining the interest rates. So it could be high risk and you're putting money into very risky protocols and we're not very sure of the returns. Then you calculate the risk from there and the potential returns that is available from, from that. Low risk is something that's a bit less, less risky, the returns are not so high, but you have a, a higher confidence level that the money wouldn't just disappear or be gone, or have a smart contract hacked and everything will be gone. So that is, that's the idea. Then, what do we do if the whole idea of these bonds and products is that you need time. You need time to do its thing. You need time to just happen, and then you wait for the returns to come in. So as I mentioned, when you buy this mask, every month you get a fixed income return. So every month you get a small piece of cloth to, for, this, for this, this mask, or it could be an, a small amount of money that comes in, then you just wait for time and then you just accumulate your returns. So that's the smart yield bond. I hope that makes sense. But for those who don't speak so much of finance, let's talk about the analogy of cookie jars. I like cookie jars because they're a lot easier to, to explain and understand what these financial products are. So let's take an example of cookie jars. Step one, get investment money. So I'm I tell everyone that I'm going to create cookie jars and people can buy these cookie jars. Do you want to be part of this idea? Give me your money and I can create this product and you can own part of these cookie jars. Everyone's like, yes, yes, I love cookie jars. So they give me money. I take this money and what, I, what do I do? I go and buy cookie jars. Uh, I go and buy cookies. So I could buy 
chocolate chip cookies, macadamia nut cookies, oatmeal raisin cookies, plain cookies, chocolate chocolate chip cookies. I have a lot of different cookies. So now my, my, my table has a lot of these different cookies and I buy these cookies from people's investment money. And they invest in me. What do I do? When you invest your money in me, it doesn't mean that I buy a chocolate chip cookie and, and I give that to you. That's silly because you can go buy chocolate chip cookies yourself, right? So what do I do? Based on all the cookies that I have with everyone's money, then I can start packaging these cookies into different kind of cookie jars. So I could have a high-risk cookie jar, and this high-risk will be, you know, let's talk about health risk. So high-risk in terms of health, there will be chocolate chip cookies because chocolate chip cookies are not so healthy. We love them because it's high returns, right? Very high happiness when I eat chocolate chip cookies, but high-risk because it's not very good for my health. That's okay, some people like that. So I have a cookie jar and I put all the different kind of chocolate cookies and chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chocolate chip cookies all in this cookie jar. And this is a high risk cookie jar. Then I also have a low risk cookie jar. These are healthier versions of cookies. So it could be, you know, cookies with less sugar, oatmeal raisin cookies, cranberry cookies, cookies that are healthier. I might not get as much enjoyment because they're very healthy. They're less sweet. They're less buttery. Why do I even want to eat cookies? But they're low risk, they're healthier versions, and people like to eat them. So I have another cookie jar where I take the healthy version cookies and I put them in there. So now I've got two types of cookie jars. I have cookie, a cookie jar with high risk, high health risk, so very chocolatey, and I've got a cookie jar that's low risk, that is healthier. And then, because you, this cookie jar, these cookies in a cookie jar are coming from people like you and me, we put, we're, we're investing in it, right? So I have money that's you own part of this cookie jar. Or yeah, you own part of this cookie jar. And based on if you put your money with me and you say that you, are, you want high risk, then I will allocate your money into the high risk cookie jar. You own part of this high risk cookie jar. Or if you are low risk, then I'll put your money in the low risk cookie jar. Then what do we do now? Now we can, if you, if you want to think of the, the cookie jar analogy, we kind of let them, let them grow and get returns and wait for the returns to come in. So it's not absolutely equivalent, but the idea is that these high-risk cookie jars, they're very unhealthy, but people love to eat them. So people, when people buy these cookie jars, when I'm selling these cookie jars and people pay for these cookie jars, they will, the money will go to people who invested in this cookie jar in the first place. And yeah, same with the low-risk. People, when people buy it, the money goes into whoever that owns the cookie jar. That's the concept. So the, yeah, the, the, uh, the entire idea of the concept is that I have cookie jars, I, put, I buy a lot of different cookies, I take all the different cookies and I put it in the cookie jar. When you have your money in it, you own part of this cookie jar. So whatever happens to this cookie jar, when price goes up or down or there are returns in, in it, you get to keep or lose the different amount of money based on the value of the cookie jar. So that's the idea. This cookie jar is the bond. This cookie jar and the different cookies in there is the financial product that they are creating. So that is the smart yield bond that is very focused on yield and risk or interest rates as risk. Now let's move on to the second product, which is the smart alpha product. This is the price exposure risk. So how, what, what is it? What is it? It is to get exposure to the price change with the level of risk that you're comfortable with. So let's say I have a hundred, I have ETH that's worth $400 and I want to get, ex, I want I'm worried about the value of this ETH going way too high or way too low. So what they do, they will, they will, take, they will take assets from the community. So let's say ETH. I, all of you are afraid of 
the price change in ETH, right? Okay, so give me all your ETH. Then I collect 100 ETH. And step two is that I sell this ETH for, for DAI. So for a currency that's stable, a currency that doesn't change. So I have 100 ETH, I sell them all for DAI. In six months' time, we will use that DAI that we, that we sold to buy back the ETH. And it could be more or less ETH depending on, on what the market is. So where do people come in? When I sell my ETH, or when I, yeah, when I give my ETH to the Barnbridge protocol, I can choose two types of risk that I'm comfortable with. It could be high risk, so something like 70%, or low risk, something like 30%. So it just, I just choose one of these boxes to, to be in. So what happens, what, ha what does it mean when I'm in these boxes? So step three is that this bond, let's say it expires in six months. So this risk exposure risk is valid for six months. This financial product is valid for six months. So within, within six months, let's say today, ETH, or six months ago, ETH was worth, worth $400. Today, ETH is worth $500. So prices rise, right? So prices rise, it means that, that prices rise by $100. So if I am in a high-risk high risk profile, then of this extra $100 that is in the system, then I will get $70, and people in the low-risk profile will get $30. If within the six months' time, prices drop by $100, then me in the high-risk profile, I will lose $70, and people in the low-risk profile will lose $30. So this is the entire idea and concept of smart alpha bond. Again, let's use cookie jars. Once again, we get cookies from the community. So instead of getting money, we get cookies. So we get, everyone has a lot of cookies, everyone is a baker, everyone has a lot of great cookies, then I keep the cookies. What I do, I take the cookies, I sell to someone else for USD. So let's say it's worth 1,000 US dollars. I take the 1,000 US dollars, I don't have the cookies anymore, I take, take $1,000. In six months time, I tell everyone that I'm going to use this $1,000 to buy back cookies. And you can choose where you want to be. You can be in the high risk area, or you can be in the low risk area. Then in six months time, I'm, it's time for me to buy the cookies again. And if the cookies are cheaper, then the same US dollar will get me more cookies. So let's say it gives me extra 10 cookies. So for whoever that's in a high risk profile, they will get seven of these extra cookies and people in the low risk profile will get three of these extra cookies. Together it becomes 10 cookies, right? So if I lose, if the cookies are now more expensive, then I, you, can't, you don't go get back 100% of your cookies. You, there are 10 cookies that are, that are lost because the prices of cookies are so expensive now. If you're in a high risk, you lose 7 cookies. And if you're in the low risk, you lose 3 cookies. Together, they add to 10 cookies. So that's the idea. And that's the main difference. So the first, the first cookie jar example is that you give me money, I buy cookies, I package these cookies up, and we get returns from these cookies. Second example is that you give me cookies, I sell the cookies, 6 months time, I'm going to buy the cookies back, and whatever risk whatever gains or losses will be shared by everyone. That's the different idea. So that, that aside, let's talk about what are the different suggestions that I, I would recommend to the community, to Barnbridge, because there is improvements, or there are improvements that could be made. So the first one is automated recalibration. One of the biggest parts of DeFi is this idea of smart contract. 
whatever that I told you about, the, these two cookie jars, these dif- two different kind of cookie jar products, they're not exactly new. You know that, right? In the traditional financial world, you have a lot of things like that. They are called CDOs or CLOs, collateralized debt obligation or collateralized loan obligations. You can Google them. They are one of the reasons, or they are the reasons why the 08 crisis happened. So there are a lot of problems in the traditional financial world. What we're doing right now is to take these assets that are available in traditional finance that have proven to get to have gains, proven to have demand by people. We're taking them and putting on DeFi, which is interesting, which is very different, which is cool, because whatever that we have in DeFi today is still one of the lower hanging fruits of the financial products. Financial products, this huge tree of products available, the lending, borrowing, exchanges, they're all of the, on the lower level. So low hanging fruits, which is good. You start somewhere and you start that way. It's great. I love it. Now, as the, the space continue to, continues to mature a little bit more, as things get, as we explore new products and innovation available, we can start climbing higher to the trees and look at what other financial products there are available, take them and apply them in the DeFi space. Good, right? One of the perks of DeFi is that is the whole smart contract automation thing. So I don't need people, I don't need intermediaries to automate that, smart contracts do that. One, so that's good, that's innovation on its own right. The other area of innovation is that since smart contracts are able to calculate so much, if smart contracts are able to execute a lot of different things that we want them to execute, as long as we can define them in math, in numbers, in very specific operations, which the smart contract can execute, then the smart contract can definitely do that. So one of these problems in traditional finance is when all these CDOs and CLOs and CDOs of CDOs of CDOs are being created, or these bond stuff are being created, we're not, we're not calculating the risk exposure very well. And even if we can calculate them, we're not recalibrating them according to the kind of risk exposure that we want in real terms, not nominal terms. And this is something that DeFi could add a lot of value in the kind of inefficient traditional financial products are available. So we can look at, as a smart contract, if I'm always creating, if if this bond represents a 30% risk exposure, can I look at using smart contracts and math to automate this recalibration of the risk given the new inputs available? What are these new inputs available? Maybe three things. The first one is new capital coming in. And we can definitely find that we don't even need oracles. The the smart contract can calculate based on whoever that's investing in this product. The second one is the kind of new assets available. So if someone else is creating a new lending protocol and this this specific bond product is is looking at yields from lending protocols, then it can assess the different... It can assess the risk and profile of these external DeFi protocols. And this is where oracles could come in to analyze, to assess, and to see if part of the assets needs can be allocated to these new protocols. And the third one is the price, the risk profile changes in the existing protocol that's already being invested, that's already being used in this structured bond product. So this is where oracles come in as well. So these there are many ways that Automated recalibration with smart contract, with code, could come in to recalibrate and recalculate the risk profile to maintain this certain amount of risk profile available. Why do I say that? I say that because one of the biggest problems in traditional finance is information asymmetry. 
people with with more information, they can they can monetize this information with trading strategies in secondary market, which is good. You know, I, I think that's good because they need to be rewarded somehow. The problem lies in that this is this is good. How do we price that into the product itself? Because the losers at the end of the trade is a zero sum game. Someone wins at the expense of someone. If someone wins a lot, it means someone loses a lot. How can we mitigate this risk? Someone wins a lot because they did proper research. There's information asymmetry. And the losers are usually these people who are not really sophisticated traders who didn't do who who are not really obsessed with researching so much, and they usually lose out because they don't have as much information as these very sophisticated traders with a lot of information. So that's to me, I think that's one of the inefficiencies in traditional finance, and one of and the problems usually lie in the product itself because these counterparties, the sophisticated traders and the the regular traders who don't have so much information, they just exist in the, in the market. And the reason, and the way to, to, for them to meet and interact and pair, tra- trade and pair, pair them up is this product itself, right? The financial product. I think there are a lot of inefficiencies in how these products are being structured, are being created. And this is where smart contracts, DeFi or blockchain could really be a huge, huge benefit or find using these automated recalibration or automated smart contracts to improve the inefficiencies in the system and in the, in the financial product. Because then the outcome will be in secondary market, the trade, the difference wouldn't be so much. And when differences are so much in a zero-sum game, it means that both parties are probably winning a little bit more. Or the outcome of this trade, when the difference is much less, could be something some efficiency that the market is generating. So that's suggestion number one, automated recalibration. Suggestion number two is to disclose the structure strategy. That's something that I still have no idea and I was speaking to Tyler about it. I think they're still creating the product. Right now is they've raised funds from everyone and then they're going to create the different financial products available with the high risk, low risk that I was mentioning. One of these important thing in, or one of these inefficiencies in traditional finance is that Okay, regulations ask you to disclose a lot of different things. The problem is that these structures and strategies are complicated. Not only are they complicated in creating them, they're complicated in trailing them to find out where your yields are coming from, where your risks are coming from. So with smart contract, with transparency, with decentralization, this could be an improvement because now we, they disclose you know, it could be in, in, written in a smart contract and people have to learn how to read the smart contract. It's not like a very pretty graphic that you could see. Or maybe it could be an interactive automated graphic page where you can change, where you can see the, the constant change in where yields are coming from, what kind of risks are, are being diversified into the different protocols, the visualization of the percentage yield for this specific product. If you are looking at five different assets in your product, where is the yield coming from, coming from, from each of these products and stuff like that. So having a very clear understanding of the structure will be very important. Why? Because one of the biggest problems in 2008, this whole financial crisis, was that companies or these banks are creating very complicated structures that random people, like me and you, and all these random people walking in the streets, we just don't understand because it's very complicated. With smart contract, with, with transparency, it becomes a lot, easy, a lot easier to be tracing and looking at where all these 
uh, gains and yields and risks are coming from. So we could show them, we could show it to people so that people can make informed decisions. That's a very important thing. The whole idea of decentralization is to empower individuals. And to empower individuals, we have to give them all the information available so that they can make the right decision. And the information that is given to people has to be succinct. It's not comp it, hasn't, it doesn't have to be complicated. It needs to, it needs to have a very clear understanding of where, where the yield is coming from, what risks are they undertaking. This is, I think this is going to be a huge improvement for the entire financial space in general. And lastly, governance token. Yes, everyone talks about governance token. I still have no idea how to price governance token because it's kind of like a mix of discounted cash flow plus some form of voting equity-like structure. It's still very complicated. A lot of people are using governance token and governance token as a way to give reason for the existence of native tokens. That makes sense, okay? What I would, what I would suggest is to have a clearer use case for it. Why do I say so? So for, for example, some, some assets, some protocols have governance token for a good use case. I think Nexus Mutual makes sense because Nexus Mutual, the whole company structure is a mutual. And for mutual to exist, you need, different, you need decentralized participants and decentralized governance. So the whole idea of NXM as a governance token, it makes complete sense to me and it, it's intuitive, right? It makes sense. There's a pretty clear defined use case for it. If you want to learn more about Nexus Mutual, I think there's a video. Uh, I'll link the video above. So you can go and learn more about it. With these financial products, I'm still struggling to find a very clear use case for governance token because what are you governing? These, these financial products, you, I don't think I would want random people on the street to govern how these financial products are created to determine the risk and returns. The whole idea of buying these financial products is that me as an individual, I do not want to look at all the different risk profiles of protocols structure a product together, and then invest in them. Because I can do it by myself. Me getting one of these platforms or buying into these products is that someone else really smart could do that. I just put my money there and put my money there with a kind of comfortable risk, risk profile that I'm, I'm okay with. So in that case, where does governance come from? What do you have to govern? If you're not governing the product, then are you governing the system? If you're governing the system, what are, what are the things that you have to govern? The transaction fees, yeah, but usually the transaction fees are fixed. You can change them, but where is the value add coming from? You can look at adding more products, but still when everything that's related to products, I want really smart people to be voting on them, to be making decisions. I don't want the, the mob mentality to come in because that's, that's not really value adding. They have information asymmetry anyway. So what's the point? And... Yeah, I, I still don't see a very clear use case for governance token. Sure, voting and everything. But what are we voting for? What's the point of voting? What's the benefit of having this mob mentality or these general people walking in the street to be voting on such complicated structured products or financial products? So that's something that I would suggest to see clearer improvements on or to see better explanations on. And then we can understand what... Then we can have more clarity of, about Farmbridge. So that's the end of this episode. It's quite different from the usual ones that we talk about, which are which is the whole economics design. This is a little bit more about financial economics and financial product design, which is slightly different. It's still economics because how do we align incentives together? How do we package things up together? And what are the kind of considerations that we need to think about with all these assets and products and risk and returns? 
and these things going on, these variables going on, right? So that's the end of this episode. If you're interested in more stuff like that, go on to bit.ly forward slash econsdesign for the premium access for token economics related things. Till then, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.